You're listening to Randy Cruz from New York City, Boom Shakalaka. Cruz out. And I'm now joined by Tim Kitzrow, the voice behind Boom Shakalaka. He's heating up. He's on fire. The voice behind the classic NBA Jam video game franchise. And now the new voice of Mutant Football League coming out in 2018. Tim, what's up, my man? How you doing? Hey, Randy. How are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. Can't complain. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to, to you and the family, first and foremost. Yeah, likewise to you and all uh, my fellow New Yorkers. I'm from uh, Albany originally, uh, so got a lot of family out there. Definitely, man. So so right now you're in Chicago, right? Yeah, I've been here since uh, 87. And what's the weather like? The Windy City, the home of home of uh, Midway, Valley, Williams, where I got my game start here in Chicago, the big uh, pinball makers and coin-op makers here. I hear that. So what's the weather right now up there? We got uh, we got some overcast skies, uh, cold <laughs> system coming in tonight, maybe a little uh, shower and uh, snowflakes by dawn. Oh, man. Right now it's 55 here in New York. So, you know, to get 55-degree weather in November, uh, I can't really complain, man. Hey, when I hear 55 in New York, I'm thinking double nickels, MJ, at the Garden. Oh, that's right, yeah. Cause I, know, I know you're a big Chicago Bulls fan, so definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though you, you, were, you were born in Wisconsin, grew up in upstate New York, right? Yeah. So you've never been a Milwaukee Buck or a Knicks fan, but you, you're a Chicago Bulls oh, that's, fan. That's not true. Actually, uh, my first real love was uh, Lou Alcindor. I was so intrigued when I was a kid about a guy who was seven foot four, mm-hmm. and I started to watch them. You know, the, there would be only a few games on uh, network TV, but when they were in the finals and uh, against Boston, right. huge Lou Alcindor fan, and, and Bobby Dandridge, uh, Oscar Robertson. So I was... I was at the age where I, I could, you know, saw all those guys play on television. So that was the beginning. Then uh, I was in New York uh, for for years, and Phil Jackson had a, uh, a coaching job as the Albany Patroons head coach. And they used to play in the Armory on Washington Avenue, and they won a championship. And so you know, a lot of guys coming back and forth from the NBA in the in the CBA league there. And uh, I came out to New York the year after his championship, and then he uh, became the head coach of the Bulls. So it was kind of a nice transition to follow him and then, uh, of course, get on the MJ and uh, Bulls wagon just at the right time. Okay, so so basically Phil Jackson is the reason why you you became a, uh, a, a Bull fan or no? It just all was, it was a nice synergy because uh, also I was in L.A. in 84 when uh, Jordan was in the Olympics, and I remember uh, watching that. And then I came to Chicago, and I was so now I'm real excited about Michael Jordan, and there's Phil Jackson. So it was mm. like, okay, these you know I love both these guys, and you know being in Chicago, uh, it was just great to you know fall in love with the team and be here, be able to see him, saw him play a number of times. I used to uh, wait tables in a little Italian restaurant uh, near the stadium, and uh, waited on Michael and a lot of the Bulls uh, mm. uh, several times uh, during the, the championship years. Well, you know me, I tell people all the time that, you know, right now I am a Knicks fan, but before the breakup in, 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 in 1999, I was a heavy, diehard Chicago Bull fan and, you know, Jordan, Pippen, Robin, Phil Jackson, the whole nine. Yeah. And, and once they left, I was like, man, I don't I don't have a team. Like, And then uh, the, Knicks yeah. made, the, the Knicks made a trade for Sprewell uh, that summer or that spring of 99, and I've been a Knicks fan ever since. Yeah, that was uh, that was a great era, and I really missed that that New York Knicks and uh, Bulls rivalry. Definitely, I was thinking of like the uh, Batman uh, Lego movie when 
uh, Batman and Joker are saying, like, you know, you need me, you need me, you know, we exactly. need each other. And the NBA needed and needs more of those kind of rivalries. Uh, the Pistons, Bulls, of course, the other great one. But, man, there was nothing like a Sunday afternoon game in the Garden with the Bulls and Knicks. And that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Definitely. Uh, before I get into a, a plethora of NBA Jam questions that I have for you, uh, first and foremost, you are on social media. You're on Twitter at Tim underscore Kitzrow. Um, and now I, I do want to get into what you're doing currently. There's a thing that a thing called Mutant Football League that you that you put me on. Um, it's, yeah. the, it's the revival of the 1993 game that came out on Sega Genesis. There's a new one coming out, I believe, next year on PS4, Xbox One. I think a, a, a PC version of it is out now. Um, how did your involvement come about working with the Mutant Football League? Yeah, it's it's on. It was just released on uh, Steam right now, and it, you can also check it out on Xbox Live Preview. Uh, the guy uh, Michael Mendheim, who uh, was the designer for the original game back in the nineties, mm. uh, he lives here in Chicago. Uh, his game was with EA for a long time, and uh, he's kind of done a, a reimagined version of it. And back in the nineties, apparently, and I kind of missed that era in, in that game, but I uh, looked it up on YouTube. It was a Saturday morning cartoon. They had action figures, trading cards. Uh, it was just, you know, crazy skeletons, zombies, orcs, and uh, this whole post-apocalyptic world. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like the, their version of the Roman Colosseum and feeding the, the Christians to the lion. It was mayhem, and there was actually a mayhem bowl instead of the Super Bowl. So uh, then, you know, with Blitz, having done Blitz, right. that was the first kind of crazy, over-the-top, violent uh, version of football. Uh, with the actual NFL license. The, then when I did a remake with uh, EA Sports in, I think, 2012 of Blitz, the NFL had watered down the, with all their rules. They didn't allow, even in the game world, they didn't allow late hits. They didn't allow any of that carnage that we had in the original ones that was such a big part of the game that fans loved. So Michael came to me. He said, I want to do this. I, I would love to have you on board. Real simple. We got together, and he said, I want you to write the script for it, too, you know, do the voices. And, uh, you know, we, I just started writing and uh, got in the studio, and it's a grassroots effort. He did a Kickstarter campaign. And he's competing against, you know, guys who we were talking about. Uh, there was a review that just came out recently comparing it and guy complaining, like, it doesn't have this feature or that feature that Madden has. And he said Madden has been around for 30 years, probably a billion dollars worth of money, you know, over the years, 100,000 man hours. And he's doing it for under a million. And the game looks and plays great. So you've got this great uh, futuristic, uh, wild uh, stadium concept. And as I said, you've got zombies and orcs and skeletons chainsaws, you have dirty tricks, you can use shotguns to actually shoot the, the, the quarterback, the quarterback can use a shotgun. Uh, there's uh, blades uh, uh, going across the field like mines, all these different hazards, moats, lava. Uh, you can bribe a ref, kill a ref. So just it, it just came back to my roots of like crazy over-the-top arcade style and allowed me to you know do a lot of humor with the writing and, and the voices. So uh, real excited about it. It does come out Xbox, PS4, uh, hopefully right at the uh, Super Bowl time. So how in tune were you with the original? And was it something that when, when Michael came to you, that, that you automatically say, you know what, I'm down? Oh, it was without a doubt. And I also realized we kind of joked that we're, we're both kind of dinosaurs because we're <laughs> of the, the retro gaming area, you know, era, uh, all, all those, you know, arcade games that have since gone out of, 
fashion for the most part in favor of sim games. And we both just love the high, you know, the, the pace, the, the fast, you know, action, the, the over-the-top stuff, the, the violence, and the humor. And for me, I'm not getting a lot of calls from game companies uh, these days because they're all doing broadcasters for sports stuff. Everybody's a you know True, a yeah. sportscaster from TV, and my style is all about the originality and that arcade style. So I think that the that people who didn't grow up with that are going to discover this and know that they can have that fast addiction. Just sit down, get right into a play. It doesn't take a half hour to set it up. You play with your friends. You know you do uh, you know the couch. You know you can do four on four. You can do it online with a, a group of people. It's it's more fun. And if you remember the arcade days when you all gathered around an NBA jam or a blitz cabinet, the fun of having a bunch of people yelling, hollering, slapping quarters down. It's that that uh, that taunting your you know your opponent, the guy you're playing, your buddy. You know you can pull out a chainsaw. As I said, you know, get, kill him, kill his quarterback. You can kill the whole team if you're behind in points. And and if they lose their whole team, you win by forfeit. So mm. it's just that kind of jump right in fast, 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 and a lot of excitement. So I was down with it, and uh, we're having a lot of fun putting together promo stuff. We're going to actually have Twitter accounts for these uh, these players that are all like, nice. parody names on, on real NFL players, like Bomb Shady instead of Tom Brady. Uh, so we're going to actually launch Twitter accounts where they're going to be out there commenting, you know, uh, in their Twitter world. Well, it must be, you know, nice and cool to be the creative director for voiceovers for the Mutant Football League, right? Oh, yeah. It's a, a great honor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so far, what's the anticipation been like as far as, you know, it being released on PS4 and, and Xbox One next year? What's the anticipation like from the fans? Well, it, he's been uh, taking it to all the different shows over the year, and, and it's just amazing how people, and the young kids especially, because they've never seen anything like it before, as I said. It's mm-hmm. just so different. And, and when you're younger, you don't want to get into you know, spend all that time setting up all the stuff that you have to do with the Madden or something else. And besides them, it's just it's monsters and skeletons and, you know, everything just going crazy. It's just a, a, a you know, carnival of, carnival of carnage. And uh, they're, they're laughing and shrieking, and, and fans have been demanding this, you know, for a long time. Hardcore game, you know, uh, followers are always asking for reboots of their favorites. And, uh, you know, some don't go as well as others. And as I said, I was disappointed with the way the, the Blitz with EA went because it, it seemed to be watered down. It wasn't what the fans really wanted. But now without the NFL looking over our shoulder, we can have more fun, you know, at at their expense. And there's no other game that's good. There's like some other, you know, game that someone's trying to do something like that. But no one is going to be able to have this fun, fun experience of like, you know, the craziness and the violence and the humor that uh, Mutant Football League has. Was there a major difference working on the Mutant Football League game as opposed to NBA Jam and, 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 and NFL Blitz? The, the biggest difference is, is actually just we're talking about the, uh, the amount of money that those guys have. And just when you see how many people, you know, they'll have, you know, 30 people on a team. And basically, you know, Michael's got his team with Digital DreamWorks, mm. but he is... You know, he's acting as like the guy who does all the legal work. He does the, you know, the promotional stuff. He's, uh, you know, the designer and he's in the recording studio with us. And also we're doing it, you know, at a more, you know, low budget uh, uh, studio. Like when you're at EA, you know, it's like everything's first class. There are eight guys in the booth. You're, you know, staying out in Vancouver, Florida. And, and you know, it's just like you're getting catered lunches every day. You have a limousine, you know, car service picking you up. And it's just like yeah. this Hollywood, you know four-star kind of treatment, and I love getting back to, like, it's the games 
all started here in Chicago, the important ones, you know, Mortal Kombat, you know, Blitz, Jam. So here it is. I'm on my turf. I'm with a guy who's put his whole life in it. I've put my whole life into it. And it's like we're going back to the garage and we're making something that, that, that the studios wouldn't, you know, the bigger companies wouldn't because it's, it's a risk and it's not, the, it's not the popular genre right now. So we're, we're all in and we're, you know, uh, it's just uh, it's great to, to have something that two people are so passionate about. And for me to have so much control, you know, after all these years, for a guy to just like go, hey, I trust you, man, you're the man, so, so go for it. And we're, we're just, you know, enjoying every minute of it. Yeah, I'm just imagining them picking you up in a private jet, red carpet all flowing out. You're the NBA Jam guy, so let's treat this guy very special. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's been a lot of perks, you know, along the, the way. And so in the early days, you know, the game's out there, and, you know, I'm not even thinking about it. You know, uh, you're like there's no celebrity attached with it. It's just I'm a guy who got paid for doing a voiceover. And then years later, with the popularity, you know, it just took off. And then now it's like, it's like I was a... a an oldies rock and roll act from the 60s, you know, and then people are coming back in the 70s, 80s, you know, like, oh, man, you were my favorite, you know, my favorite band. Mm. It's like NBA Jam in the arcade is like back in the 60s, all the kids put their money in jukeboxes and their heroes were rock and roll guys. And uh, right. so for, for the era that I, you know, contributed to the arcades, a lot of kids spent all their quarters, their dad's quarters and anybody else's quarters. Absolutely. And uh, they all have memories and everybody's got a memory to share with me when I went out to uh, ESPN during the launch of NBA Jam for EA Sports. Uh, I was on the uh, 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 their, their morning show with Colin Coward and uh, uh it was just great to walk down the hall with uh, this guy, and he's introducing me to all the different, you know, uh, the desk, you know, the, all the anchors, whatever. And they're like, hey, this is Tim Kitchen. They're like, hey, man. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he's the voice of NBA Jam. Then they go, hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you got to can you say, this sounds weird, but can you say he's on fire? And all of a sudden, everybody just stopped. It was like they just met the real Santa Claus, like their whole life. Like, you know, they love Santa Claus and their kid, but then they, you know, he's not real. And then they got to meet him. <laughs> it's just bizarre yeah. feeling like you go from a nobody because, you know, my voice is in the game, but people don't know my name. Right. When I get introduced in those situations, people are like, oh, I got to tell you, man, I grew up with you. I heard your voice in my head. And I do it when I shoot paper in the garbage can and <laughs> yep, yep. It's a very funny thing to, to know that that game actually had that much of an impact on people. You mentioned arcade earlier. Um, nowadays, 2017, 2018, everything is online, digital, PlayStation, Xbox, you name it. Um, how much do you miss the arcades being around as they were back in the day? Because back back then, it's, it's um, uh, carnivals, it's a... a, a amusement parks it's rec yep. centers it's everywhere now it's you might find it once in a blue moon but how much do you miss the arcades being around well i i mean i miss it terribly and it was just a, certainly a fun thing to see you know when i had you know blitz and jam out sometimes they had the uh, the dual cabinet i don't know if you remember the arcades that had both of those games i think it was tournament edition or something yeah yeah, and yeah. blitz but just to, to actually see the kids just having fun and to see real young kids doing it. But I'll tell you what, the arcade uh, uh, thing is, is coming and back in a big way. And I've been uh, reading a lot. Uh, Hollywood Reporter had an article about how across the country bar owners are really moving to arcades. Uh, they're realizing how many people, you know, they have the retro bug that grew up with them. Uh, and there's at least, at least a dozen, I think, here in Chicago. I was out at the Northwest Pinball Show. I was a speaker out there in, in Washington. There are arcades all over in Washington. There's a place called Shorty's with, uh, you know, great pinball machines. 
there are more and more uh, conventions. We're trying to organize one here in Chicago, thinking about doing a, a retro uh, pinball arcade cafe with some of the original designers, uh, the Ritchie brothers who mm-hmm. designed all these great pinball games. You've got Mark Termell, uh, uh, Ed Boone, Creative Mortal Kombat, so many great names from Chicago. And we thought, you know, we're going to try to get together between all of us that have this history here to put something special in Chicago, like a, a kind of a museum cafe. Uh, but yeah, the games are coming back to the arcades, and it would be fun to see a title like uh, Mutant Football League for a, a company to get behind them and make a, a few arcades for the big cities and the bigger arcade centers to see people, you know, play that live. I mean, there is something special and very nostalgic to see, or you know, to kind of think back here in New York, where you know you you know you 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 go to school. And you know that there's a video game store down the block. You go out to school with some of your friends and you have a whole bunch of quarters in your pockets. Uh, your mom gave it to you, your dad gave it to you, and you'll be in the video game store until like seven o'clock and your parents are like, yeah. Hey, you know, are you coming home anytime soon? And it's like, listen, yeah. it's, I, I, it's I like can't. Pinocchio and Pleasure Island, man. All it's missing is uh, someone sticking a big fat cigar and in your face. It's like, I always remember that image of Pinocchio, like playing pool and eating candies, like go where, where kids have the most fun. And that's, that's right. what the arcade was. And kind of depressing sometimes when I see at the Tacoma show, um, in an a- area where there are probably 200 pinball machines and, and uh, video arcade machines. And there's a guy probably in his mid thirties playing and he's jumping around. He's kind of making noise, trying to tilt the machine. Mm. And there's his kid in the stroller Four, three or four years old on the iPhone playing a little video game. Yeah. Like old generation, new generation. That's how it is. You see a kid just like sitting on the train or the bus or whatever by himself playing yep. a, a little download mobile game. And there's just, there's no interaction. And it's part of that whole thing. It's like video games, arcades were all about, it was still playing with your friends. And it was still like, you know, challenging each other right. to do that game as opposed to just endlessly, you know, twiddling your thumbs on the on the phone. So it's great to see arcades coming back. Exactly. And then, you know, there'll be a time where you can win 5, 10, 15 in a row, and it's like you can't you can get off. And then, you, like yeah. Tim, you lose one game, it's over for you. You, you, you can't get mm-hmm. back on. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, the lines right. would be so long, and it's like, hey, listen, you know, whatever, and you lose, and it's like, man, I can't get on for another half hour. You might as well go home. <laughs> it, yeah, you know, Mark, uh, actually the creator, Mark Turmel, he said it was basically, he realized he kind of de- developed a, a video crack. You know, like the, you put a quarter in, mm-hmm. games over, the quarter's over quick. You got to get that quarter out while it's still going, like, you know, to get that next play. Exactly. And to play. And then, as you said, you know, you're trying to get the initials on the board. So now you got, oh, I'm that close. I'm that close. It has that gambling, that Vegas fever of like, I got to keep going. And you got to be the man who's got your initials there. Uh, if you watch Stranger Things, there you know there are a bunch of scenes at an arcade, and they're trying to figure out uh, who has the uh, top initials, Mad Max, on on some yep. game, and like that was a thing, and that's the little teenage girl, and then they go, oh man, girls got the top score, and that was as you said, that's where the kids met, you know, after school, that's mm-hmm. where they all hung out. It was uh, you know a cool time that that was a, a place for for kids to you know meet their boyfriend, their girlfriend, hang out. And, not getting too much trouble. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's one of that's one of my favorite shows on TV right now. Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, I did read somewhere. I'm not this. This article is probably maybe a year or two old, but it, it said that Pac Man was the only game you play from start to finish. Now, I, 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 maybe there's a different game yeah. after that, but why is Pac Man the only game? 
Well, when I was in college, they uh, I was at uh, Purchase College, which is right up uh, the Hudson River from you, White Plains, Westchester right. area. And it was a very remote campus. Didn't have a real town. You had to go into White Plains, so it wasn't the ideal college town. So there was one bar, literally, like uh, at the end, next to PepsiCo, where it's all corporations and exactly, uh, yeah. country clubs around there. And they had Pac-Man in there, and it was a quarter. And uh, they might have, I might have played some Space Invaders, but I remember just digging the whole, you know, Pac-Man uh, feel was exciting. But my quarters were very scarce in college. I had a work-study program, mm-hmm. you know, had to uh, pay for my own tuition. And quarters were, it was beer night, Wednesday night, quarter beer night. And all our quarters went to beer, and I was, thought it was a waste to, to, to put it into a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, Pac-Man is one of the greatest games, uh, greatest games of all time. I know when that was in the arcade, my brother nine and friends would, would play it. I think in the arcade, in, in my time with the arcade, uh, revelation was Pac-Man was, uh, NBA Jam, of course, was Mortal Kombat, was Street Fighter, maybe one or two other games. But for me, that was my era of going, like I said, to after school to be, uh, to to play Mortal Kombat all the time and and, and Pac Man and those games, but you know yeah. it, it just like like you said earlier, the, a kid nowadays can be on the phone playing a, a pinball game, and it's like man, you could be in the store right now playing with with other people. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Space Invaders, another a cool little thing about Mutant Football League is at halftime there's a little mini game within a game, which is cool, where you get locked in this uh, this space with uh, zombie reps all these zombie reps, and they're trying to come after you and eat you. So you've got a gun, and it's just like Space Invaders. You just try to pick them all off and survive, and if you survive that, that one-minute round, you can resurrect any of your players that were killed in the, in the first half. So, so if your opponent had killed your quarterback, mm. now you're your backup quarterback, it's like chess. You can you know, go to the end of the board and get the queen back. So if you do this little mini Space Invaders, like high adrenaline, like, you know, real, it's like, you know, Walking Dead, you know, one of those scenes where, like, you're in the bus and all the zombies are coming in. So if you kill all the, the zombie reps, you get your player back. So I thought that was cool to incorporate another little bit of kind of old-school Space Invaders within the game. We're chatting with Tim Kitzrow, the voice behind NBA Jam and Mutant Football League. Now, before I lay the groundwork for NBA Jam, you started working with Midway, um, which is a video game company that started uh, Mortal Kombat, uh, Rampage, Spy Hunter, NBA Jam, uh, and, um, NFL Blitz. Uh, you started doing voice voiceover work for pinball games. So now, how did Midway find you or did you find them? Well, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, just have a random uh, connection. I, I played in a, a weekend band. I played drums. And uh, one of the guys, Chris Graner, was the guy who's doing uh, a lot of music for their, their pinball games. And at that time, the guys who had put the music in the games, they composed all that, that pinball and video music. They also write the scripts. They also cast the, the voice talent. And uh, they were looking for someone to do Mr. Howell for Gilligan's Island. And he said, hey, you're pretty good with voices. You went to Second City, you do comedy. He goes, could you do Mr. Howell? I need someone who can't find anyone. Mm-hmm. I said, well, maybe we could bribe Kona Gilligan. Ooh, lovely. And uh, so I got my way in there, first game. Then they gave me Popeye and Twilight Zone and mm, nice. Act of Mars, Judge Dredd, uh, Elvira, wow. Scared Stiff, and it just kept going. I think it was 15 games all in all. And then it's like this old story of like uh, the, the new thing comes along and I happen to be at the right place at the right time. The ground floor, Mark Jamel said, hey, Tim's been doing a great job with all the voices. We got this uh, NBA game coming out. Does he want to do that? 
So it was an offer, you know, it was just right there. That was, you know, their, their guy at the time. So I fell right into it and I have to, you know, just be a huge basketball fan and uh, Marv Albert fan. So, uh, you know, it was a, just a perfect world. Everybody says, how did you get into something like that? And it's, it's funny how some things, you know, just fall into your lap and other things, you know, after being a second city, you know, I'm trying to get on Saturday Night Live and, you know, you know, this and that with my career. And, you know, the acting business is tough. You know, there, there's always someone else who's going to beat you to the job and, you, you know, you, you try to find your niche. And my niche ended up being something that no one else did at the time, which was, you know, write and perform, uh, you know, dozens of voices for video games. And now it's turned into kind of a little mini uh, cottage industry for me to be a guy who the NBA now uh, has me doing highlights for them. Did work for the Warriors last year during the playoffs uh, for the Rockets. Uh, this year I'm doing an NBA Jam team night for the Clippers at the Staples Center January 8th. And uh, I'm going to be doing stuff with the Celtics. So all of a sudden, all that, that, that work from way back then, although I didn't make my original goal of wanting to be, you know, Saturday Night Live and the mm-hmm. movies, everything else, I got something that no one else, you know, from that Second City uh, era got, which is, you know, the uh, basically, you know, writer and voice talent for, for all these great hit games. So I feel very blessed. So you mentioned Mark Mark Termel. Uh, now we're in now we're in 1992. He's the lead designer at Midway. Uh, he tells you about coming on board for NBA Jam. How excited were you about this, this opportunity? And did you know much about the development of the game? Because uh, it wasn't your typical basketball game. It wasn't NBA Live five on five. It's two on two. People jumping out out the building, making threes from way downtown, like 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 you would say. Yeah. Uh, how excited were you about this opportunity? Well, first of all, it's weird. I don't remember. I may have seen some of the different developmental stages. I'm sure I I, uh, was shown some of the stuff as it was coming along. But in the the very first recording sessions, I don't think I I saw any screenshots or actual gameplay. They just said it's an NBA game. It's over the top. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, as someone, as I said, I was so into basketball. I was playing at the Y probably four times a week. I could actually dunk. You know, I was probably about 30 or 31 and and was i worked on my you know my jumping and it's like i always wanted to be able to dunk so here i am me too like playing and living basketball every day as a kid in the backyard i'm like every other kid when i play by myself i was always calling the game you know three seconds left catch up from the corner and he got it they win you know that kind of thing so here i am living out my fantasy of like that backyard calling the game like at the buzzer the nail in the coffin boom shakalaka and I'm going, this is the greatest game in the world, greatest gig, you know. And I had no idea what to expect, what the game would be. Uh, then I went out to see how it was doing in some of the big Chicago arcades. And, you know, the first couple of weeks, like, you'd see a couple people around it. And just literally within a couple of weeks, like, there would be a group of 10 people around it. So that was a lot of fun. And I've, I've told this story before, but uh, I couldn't resist going up behind a group of 10 people playing and start to watch the game, and a guy bounces one off the rim, and they're like, rimming, no good, ugly shot. And they turn around, and they go, hey, man, you sound like the, the, the dude from NBA Jam. And I go, I am the dude. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> hey, always got a kick out of that. And uh, when I play at the Y, all these kids would be playing with me, and I'd, I'd uh, say, hey, what's your name? he go, Darren. i go, Darren from downtown. He's on fire. And he goes, hey, you sound like that dude from NBA Jam. I go, dude, I am the dude. And then he goes, no way, man, you ain't the dude. Then he'd look at me, look at me like you know, I'm, I'm an imposter, like how he can look at me, decide whether I am or I am not the dude, in fact. 
And then he'd tell his friends, and all of a sudden there'd be like 10 or 15 kids around the hoop, and they'd go, say my name, say my name. So I would play one-on-one with all these kids, calling the whole game uh, at the Y. That was a great memory. So now, knowing that you're you know, a big Chicago Bull fan, how one, when did, when did you find out, and two, were you upset that, that, that Michael Jordan was not in NBA Jam? I didn't, I didn't realize it uh, right away, and I only learned the, the full story later. I just thought uh, basically like he wanted too much money, whatever. But the players' agreement, bargaining agreement, uh, basically when they sign on, means anything the NBA licenses, they have to fall in line with. And that meant that they weren't, the players themselves weren't going to get money. Their bonus was they, anybody in the game would get in our cabinet. So I found out later that Michael wasn't in it because actually he was smart. It's like his name, his brand alone could have, you know, if what if the game wasn't like a big hit, you know that if Michael's name was on it and it was the only NBA game out there, you know, it would have made a billion dollars and he wouldn't have gotten anything except in an NBA Jam arcade cabinet. Well, it turns out the game made a billion dollars the first year. And then he's out in Seattle uh, hanging out with Gary Payton and Ken Griffey. And they're, 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 uh, hearing about NBA Jam or they're playing it or something, they're like, you know, why am I not in it? And I don't think Michael necessarily even realized that his agent, you know, told him, hey, there's this opportunity. He just made a business decision, you know, like, no, we're not going to have Michael in this. So Michael wanted to be in the the game so badly. And think of a guy with his ego, the top player in the NBA is not in the top. It's like being an album of mediocre artists and they're giving you the, you know, the top 10 artists in the world and Michael's not there. So he's like, I got to be in the game because I got to play as myself. So they called Midway, or his agent did, and we did a special version uh, where I came in, had to do you know you know the calls for Jordan, for Peyton, for Griffey, and they made three cabinets and shipped them out to those guys. So I thought that was really cool that he wanted to be in so bad. Uh, so the story goes that uh, uh, they had their cabinets, and uh, and then all these years later, we're all wondering like, well, what happened with the cabinet? Uh, the NBA Jam article in Sports Illustrated came out, and they talked to Gary Payton. Uh, a week later, he was in Chicago for the Big Three, and I was doing a, a radio interview uh, at the Score uh, in Chicago, and he came on, and we asked him about it, and he said, I ended up getting Griffey's and Jordan's uh, cabinet, and I've got them at my house, and I'm keeping them for my kids because they're going to be worth a lot of money because we play it all the time, and we have it refurbished every year, you know, fix it up, and he was so excited. Uh, to you know, to know that I was the guy who had done that. We talked about uh, uh, having a, a competition out at his place sometime with some of the old school uh, NBA, ex-NBA people on those original cabinets because that's like the holy grail. Like those are the only games that exist with Jordan uh, and Peyton in them. Wow, um... there is a chance too. I talked to Mark Trammell about. Uh, getting that version out to the, you know, to, to release it. Mm. And it's going to be some legal hoops because uh, uh, the license is, is held by the NBA. Right. NBA still controls the, uh, the their uh, license, though, as well. They, you know, uh, bought in you know, years ago when Midway went out of business. So we would have to, you know, work out a deal with them. Uh, and there's also a new guy from uh, Microsoft who approached me. He's trying to secure the rights for NBA Jam to update it, release it, and at that point, hopefully, we could uh, get the MJ and Peyton uh, version out. Of course, you'd have to go through MJ's people, Peyton's people, make sure they get paid, but, you know, why not? I think everybody in the world who's ever played NBA Jam would plop down whatever for a ver- to get the uh, Holy Grail version. 
Yeah, I think also um, I read somewhere Shaq, who was in the uh, in the arcade version of it, but wasn't in like the home console because he right. himself did the whole thing like Gary Payton and and and, and Jordan. Yeah. I mean, he, he was uh, he was the biggest fan. He actually, when he would uh, travel on the road, he would have his assistant call up the local arcades and you know give him whatever money they wanted to deliver a whole arcade cabinet to his hotel suite. Mm-hmm. And he said him and the other guys on the team would just stay up literally all night gambling <laughs> and playing. And uh, he said that you know that was just a, a cool thing because you know there are obviously no home games, portable games, then it just is the ultimate. Uh, uh, tribute, uh, you know, to NBA Jam and its success that the NBA players at the time loved it so much and would hang out all night and play. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me as a fan, I'm I'm interested. Uh, I'm curious to know about the process. Uh, again, just researching f- uh, about you, I read somewhere that uh, twenty hours, f- uh, fifty an hour, nine hundred dollars for the whole entire project. Um, did you ever go? Do you ever go back and be like, damn, I could have made a lot more money? And, and also the process of going to booth, doing the lines, and all that stuff. Well, first of all, the, the money you have to, in, in perspective, like where I was, you know, a young guy, you know, as an actor, we are all, you know, you always struggle. Uh, you always wait tables or do something to, you know, to make ends meet. So mm-hmm. when you have a gig that's, it just seems like a, a side gig that's related to what I want to do. It's like, I, as I said, I get to be creative fun, do voices, comedy, and 50 bucks an hour, like you're in there for three hours, that's 150 bucks, and that was that was good money. Right. And uh, in the end, as I said, it was just, to, I just thought of it as like this nice little extra bonus money. It's like playing scratch off lotto and winning consistently. Uh, I had no idea what games made, never had any understanding of how big the industry was, and of course, pinball games were kind of on their way out. They weren't very uh, uh, viable financially for the companies. That's why they ended up uh, phasing out as the video games became more popular. So, you know, making 50 bucks an hour for for something like that, uh, you know, great. But then when I found out at the end of the first year, I saw a print uh, printed out article on the board out at Midway Games that said NBA Jam breaks all records made a billion dollars in quarters this year. I absolutely was convinced that it was that someone in the department made that up for fun to you know joke about blah 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 how successful the game is. Mm-hmm. And they said no, it really did. It broke all the records. Single day most money ever made from a from a game. Uh, at one point, they were getting calls from arcades saying that the, the Jam machine was broken. And everybody's freaking out, thinking, oh, we've got this successful game, and there's a glitch, and it's broken. Right. Uh, it turned out it wasn't broken. It was just stuffed with quarters. They couldn't get any more quarters in state to make bigger coin uh, drop boxes for them. So that's that's the, the, the history. I never thought about the money, but obviously as years went on, it's like a lot of uh, uh, artists, musicians that signed away or gave away, you know, signed over to their manager, their record company, or they gave them, you know, 200 bucks to record this. And then the song made a million dollars, and they didn't get any of the royalties. It's like being a session musician on one of the greatest songs ever. You got your hundred dollar check for the session, you know, and everybody, you know, has regarded that as like one of the greatest songs. So I'm, I'm attached to this financial cash cow. Uh, but what I did learn later is that it had a second life, and luckily now with the gig, gigs with the NBA, uh, with getting the, the remakes of EA's version of NBA Jam Blitz. Uh, Newton Football League that the payday has come much later, you know, so I put in my dues and and uh, so it, it's paying off later. But yeah, it hurts to think that like 
a billion dollars, made $2 billion a day, like what if I just had like one penny <laughs> from each quarter that went in or something mm-hmm. like that, or a quarter of an eighth of a penny. Right. Uh, but then the process, that question, um, I've always been very comfortable uh, you know, doing uh, voiceover and comedy because uh, my, my brother and I, we had tape recorders when we were kids where we just do endless like comedy uh, things and we would... Uh, uh, we bought a video camera in the early 80s. I, I was in an improv group. We would make our own uh, comedy videos. So performing and all that was, was very natural for me. But uh, getting in the booth was a lot of fun to put that headset on and to, to really hear the, uh, the, that full sound, that radio sound in your headset of you doing the NBA calls. It was, it was almost like I've got this detached uh, uh, personality where I, uh, from, I stand outside myself and go, Oh, that guy sounds pretty good. And when I, you know, hear the game, like when I heard Mutant Football League come, you know, the first trailers, I said, "Oh, it's that guy from NBA Jam." I had that feeling, like, "Oh, that, oh yeah, I like that." <laughs> it's like a, this whole different character than you know the twenty-four hour uh, Tim. It's uh, it's like there's almost another character in me that uh, just you know gets out of bed and goes to the studio for these games, and that's that's the only time you see him or hear him. So, a lot of fun, a lot of fun doing this. So how often did you play the game at home on your arcade or did you never play the game? Almost never. Um, I had more fun watching other people do it so I could completely listen to how the voice flowed mm. for the, in context of the game. I was always more interested in just like hearing it and watching it. And I, because I didn't come up in the, you know, as a video game player, as I said, just the very beginning, like I never took the time to like the buttons, the joysticks, the rules. I'd watch my son play it, but I just, uh, I like playing basketball, you know, with a basketball. Uh, Love the the whole uh, theatrical nature of like watching, you know, my work in a game, but that's where where it ended. Like I I just, I like playing basketball and uh, video games, oddly enough, have never been my thing to play, but I love watching them. I like playing pinball, but I suck at it, (laughs) but never really been a player. So now in in the process, the the famous taglines of boom shagalaka he's heating up he's on fire uh where'd that come from because i doubt that was in the original script so maybe you 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 know you got a little creative and added your own spin on it right well the the truth is john hay wrote the whole script and he's a wonderful musician in chicago and what we were really doing is we wanted to lift the, that that uh, pop culture moment that was happening basically was the game of the week at uh, Marv Albert, you know, NBC Sports. Everybody was familiar with, and he was the best, and I still think he will always be the greatest uh, announcer, that the excitement that he gave to those games, and if you look back, especially during the, the Detroit uh, era and when they played the Bulls, when Vinny Johnson, the, his nickname was the microwave, the guy off the bench come in, drop a quick 20 on you, Marv Albert would always go, he's heating up! You know, and when he got on fire, that was Marv. He's on fire! Of course, totally different take. So that was, those were two of the iconic lines. And basically, we were just trying to use any line that we felt like was in that vernacular from the, from the NBA uh, game of the week. Uh, so largely based on, on Marv Albert and uh, the NB, NBC uh, game, game time. And Boom Shaklaka was uh, one of the uh, guys in the, uh, sound recording uh, booth at the time was listening to a lot of Sly and the Family Stone and there's a, a song I Want to Take You Higher where there's a chorus where they're saying boo shakalaka, no M, just boo shakalaka laka, boo shakalaka laka and it's also in that Bill Murray movie Stripes 
And he just thought it was a cool phrase. And he said, tell Tim to say boom shakalaka. He misheard it. He thought they were saying boom shakalaka. So it was a simple random act like that that ended up becoming the signature call of the game. So pretty, pretty funny how that, that happened. So now, um, when, when, when those phrases come out and kids around the world, even adults are saying that even when they play at the Y or a special basketball tournament, did you even know how impactful those catchphrases would be in the whole entire video game industry? Never, never had a clue. And actually reading in the, the Sports Illustrated article, uh, they were saying that like two weeks after the game came out that they, you know, one of the designers from Midway overheard someone you know, who was uh, uh, playing a pool or something, you know, it's like he hit one and like, he's on fire. And so now like in beer pond, you know, a whole generation that maybe some of them may not even really know NBA Jam. People told me that, oh, it's uh, he's heating up, you know, for three in a row or he's on fire. And they use NBA Jam terms, uh, you know, for, for beer pond. So, and I did start to hear it in commercials. You hear it in TV shows, characters, you know, yelling boom shock locker or something. So, yeah, uh, over the years, I've noticed that it really transcended the game and is part of the culture. And, you know, who, who doesn't, you know, think of saying boom shock locker or he's on fire when they do anything great in sports? You know, you'll hear it referenced in, you know, football or baseball, you know, sometimes. So, uh, yeah, it'd be fun if I was able to, you know, work with uh, some of the other uh, major league sports the way I've been doing with the NBA and, and do some calls for games and do some highlight videos. And, of course, Blitz was such a big hit. And that was the one where I really started to get uh, creative with with all the writing. And so you know, the, the phrases, instead of like a one-liner uh, or a one-word, like boom shock lock, a superlative, it was things like, uh, he just ripped that guy's head off. No, it was just his helmet. That was totally unnecessary, <laughs> but a whole lot of fun to watch. Those were a couple of the, you know, the kind of lines that people started to uh, latch on to, and so it's been fun with the updated versions. If you listen to the new NBA Jam from 2010 with EA Sports, I probably put about 500 lines, you know, in, and it's a little bit more, you know, lengthy and involved. And now I've been using those for the NBA uh, highlights that I do for the teams. Things like, you know, when someone hits a, a three-pointer, instead of just nothing but net, I go like rummaging through his girlfriend's top dresser drawer. He finds nothing but nylon. Boom shakalaka. Like your mama wearing latex pants, that book was tight. Kaboom! So, a lot, lot more. <laughs> the, the technology uh, that allowed us to put more speech in games, the, the simple mm. fact is, in the early days, you could only put so much uh, speech into the games. The memory just couldn't hold it. So when I did the first uh, home versions, there was even less uh, uh, space in memory than the arcades, because that was a bigger you know, uh, hard drive. So when I recorded that, I actually had to tighten up and shorten the phrases much more than they are in the arcades. So if anyone really listens closely, like in the home versions, he's on fire becomes this like one syllable, like, he's on fire, he's on fire. And I actually say, he's on fire, he's on fire, uh, because we just had to, we had to tighten everything up and speed it up. So that's kind of an interesting technical uh, mm. little uh, story about how the games have evolved. So now uh, take me there real quick. 2010, 2011, uh, EA uh, now takes over and brings back NBA Jam. Uh, it's not on Midway, not on Acclaim. And they do the, they, they, they do the, um, the revamped version. Now you're brought back into the fold. How happy, how excited w- were you that they're bringing the game back? 
Al, I got a, a call out of the blue. Someone from EA Sports said, how do you feel about making NBA another NBA Jam? And at first, I was just so taken aback, and I thought that they were actually using that as a uh, kind of a, a jumping-off point, say, do you want to make another hit game, like, like NBA Jam? Uh-huh. And then I found out they actually wanted to remake NBA Jam, and I was just over the moon, as I said. It's like finding out that you had done a, a movie or a song back in, you know, like the 60s, and then someone wants to remake, you know, the Batman series, the Superman series. And unlike in the movies where, like, I'm 20, I was 17 years older at the time of the reboot, you know, I can still do it because it's a voice thing. You know, it's like as an actor, they'd replace the original Superman or Batman with another actor. So to get a franchise role back with the biggest company in the world was very exciting. And then, of course, kind of like my my payday, it was like the red carpet, as I said, you know, going out to Vancouver and staying in great hotels and, you know, limos and everything else. Like, they, that's one of the reasons also that they're, they're in trouble because they were so lavish and spent so much money over the years and then they, the market started to change and more, you know, online games and everything else. But for that moment to have that role and to say, do the script, you know, not like you're working on the script with someone, but do whatever you want. And so some of those lines I just referenced, the more outrageous lines, <clears throat> like, like my wife always says, not tonight, tonight. You know, just it was my chance to do basically, you know, a comedy routine uh, and, and just uh, go for it and anything I wanted to do. So the creative freedom was like I've never had before, and uh, it couldn't have been a, a more exciting time. And I still think that that soundtrack is, is, is great, and a lot of people haven't heard it. So anybody who hasn't played the EA version, you should check it out. Well, Tim, you were, you were part of one of the highest-selling video game franchises ever uh, in a time where, like I said earlier, there was, there was Mario involved. Mario was very big uh, in the early 90s. Uh, Donkey Kong, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Zelda, uh, Nintendo transitioning into Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis involved. And NBA Jam out of nowhere comes into play and really just transition and revitalize uh the sports gaming world Uh, to me you can help me out if i'm wrong but at the time there was only jordan versus bird on nintendo there was bulls versus blazers on super nintendo but it wasn't and again that's five on five but it's it was nothing compared to what we saw with nba jam with kids getting involved and spending money they 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 wanted the home version uh for super nintendo and and sega genesis and it created a big buzz so i i I assume you're very happy you're very proud to be a, a, a a part of that and my question is when people let's say some people don't know about nba jam or want to know more about it and you try to describe or condense the legacy of NBA Jam that it had on children, on, on on adults, on pop culture in general. What is the legacy of NBA Jam? Well, first of all, um, it was uh, it, there was a, an article about the, the fifty great moments. Uh, it's called Game Changers, a book that came out. I did extensive interviews for, and the guy pointed out in it. They said the fifty most important moments in basketball. NBA Jam was one of them. Mm. The reason is its legacy is that. Yeah, you had the, the handing off of the torch, you know, from like Oscar Robertson, Magic, you know, Kareem, MJ, Bird. It was starting to explode. The NBA was starting to explode. But you still had three networks and only maybe a game a week. And they wouldn't even start to play the games usually till after the football season. You know, right. it, was, it was tough as a kid to follow the NBA. You didn't have any, you know, portable, you know, the, you know computers, all that stuff. So the only way to get True. the NBA 
was that one game a week, maybe. And they even had delayed broadcasts for finals games. So it was not a real big part of the pop culture. And NBA Jam, what that did was it allowed kids all over the world to get to know every team, get to know their logos because you have to go through that screen. Then you get to choose the two best players you know, from the team. So you're getting players that you would never have known, even if you were a Knicks fan. You wouldn't know who's in Seattle, who's in Dallas, who's there necessarily. Because how many times do you even play them? How many times have they been on TV? Mm. So what it did is it opened up people to all the players, all the teams, and got them excited about the NBA. Uh, It really uh, pushed it to a new level, and I would be, I would love to talk to NBA Jam fans and say, what, like, kind of Teams and players did you get to know through NBA Jam that you otherwise wouldn't have? Who, who did you play when you played NBA Jam? Did you, you know, do you... And uh, uh, there's an interesting article by Russell Wilson. Uh, he wrote an article. It was called Boom Shock Lock. He goes, I fell in love with the NBA because of NBA Jam. So here, to answer your question, here's a major athlete. He said, people may think that I was obsessed with football my whole life. He goes, no, it was NBA because of NBA Jam, he goes, I'm living in North Carolina. I think it was North Carolina. He goes, who's my favorite player? It's Gary Payton, because I love their logo. I love the Sonics look. And he goes, I always played as them. So now he ends up in Seattle, and he's actually trying to bring the Sonics franchise back to Seattle, which is cool. And Mm -hmm. he said the NBA NBA Jam was the thing that brought him in. Uh, There's a guy who's writing a book called NBA Jam. Uh, You can find it on Twitter, NBA Jam, the book. He was in the Philippines. He got NBA Jam there, and he fell in love with the whole NBA culture because of NBA Jam. So, so the legacy is that it opened up the NBA before technology and cable and you know twenty four hour NBA channel to know the players. And then, secondly, it was a moment in pop culture that will never be repeated. Whereas we said, like that fun of the arcades, of after school or whatever, of having that fun with your friends on a virtual playground uh, that will never be duplicated that time. So uh, it's just a great thing to be part of, like, a lot of happy memories for a lot of kids that mm-hmm. that game turned them on to the NBA and just the fun of being with their friends. So I think that's uh, that's the best thing. Real quick, was there ever a time where even during your process of doing the lines and everything, that there was a time where the game might not have happened? Yeah, the, uh, as I was uh, mentioned in the Sports Illustrated article, the NBA and a lot of people uh, saw arcades as a very dark, seedy place. And of course, you know, any pool hall or bar or whatever, you know, always has some illicit activity and drug dealing, whatever. You know, people go in. There's all the mm-hmm. teenagers that sell them a pot or whatever. And uh, there was occasionally, you know, a, you know, a fight or something in a New York City arcade. I forget the one that they referenced, some in Times Square or something that might have actually had been part of, like, you know, or next to a peep show or something. So the NBA did not want to have any of that underworld element, you know, connected with their game and CD, you know, places. And so they had to convince them that it was going to be. Uh, 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 something that would benefit them. So they took them to some of the nicer arcades and showed them around and, and said, you know, this is a great way to market your product. So uh, it was an 11th hour kind of thing. They weren't going to do it. The original answer was no. They would have had to drop the NBA license, done generic, you know, fictitious players. Uh, so wouldn't have had any of the, the real appeal that NBA champ has. So it was, a, it was a very, very lucky moment that, that everybody was able to agree and come together. Is it 
fair for me to say that without NBA Jam, there's no NBA Live, there's no NBA 2K series? I, I mean, there's a possibility, but I think inevitably, you know, the, the leagues are so big and realizing how what's the best way to reach your, your kids and your market is just sell your product. Well, you can only sell so many sneakers or team jerseys or whatever. So the NBA and the teams and the game companies all had something to benefit. And uh, so that's, that's how it worked out. And then obviously every other sport was, was done as well. And, you know, when, when you're younger, you know, you remember the old, uh, like the hockey game where you, you have the, the, the players, the little metal players and you're yeah. like the foosball kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was, when I was a kid, there was a little cardboard box basketball game where this little ping pong ball would roll in these holes. You had a little, flip switch, like spring action that would launch the ball into the, the net. So there was always, you know, the game companies, uh, whether actual board companies or the ones who made the, the physical games like the foosball, they were going to try to get in on the sports market. So it was inevitable that, the, you know, the video game and technology would, would find its way. But truthfully, as I said, even though I'm not a big game player, I just think that the idea of these over-involved uh, uh, sim games, well, uh, you know, I'm not putting anyone down for enjoying that whole process of like mm-hmm. going through the, the season and the players and all that. But it, to me, that separates itself from what an original, the idea of what a game is. A game is this like fun, fast action thing. You know, think of, you know, kids uh, and, and how you want to just get in on the fun and you don't want to exclude anyone and anyone can do it. So that, that rush and excitement of a fast paced game uh, of the arcade style is still going to stand on its own. I don't think that NBA Live and all those things are really it's apples and oranges. You know, it's it's, a, it's two different experiences, and you know, fans love them both. But I I don't think you can beat the adrenaline rush of, of the arcade, and that's the other thing that NBA Jam has that no one else has ever uh, reproduced. Seeing the the success of the game twenty five years later, uh, do you ever go back and and, and feel like you know any, any regrets or feel like I could have done this? I, I could have done something a little better and different uh the only thing is i I wish is that i'm always thinking of uh marketing things and obviously everybody who you know puts all their energy and passion into a career you want to make the most of it and i wish i had some of the um uh connections and uh and the foresight to to be more aggressive myself marketing myself uh, as I have been lately, because there would have been more opportunities to uh, maybe do more things, be more integrated with the NBA, uh, and also to make a you know more of a, a living. When I was younger, realizing that this has this has I, I I couldn't predict that it had the the staying power, the legs uh, that it has. But certainly over the years, I've realized it. So I wish I was smarter in some ways to to get involved more and uh, to do some of the things I'm doing today. But it's it's certainly fun, and if anybody wants, they can look at. Uh, either timkitsrow.com or mrboomshakalaka.com uh, link to my website and see the videos I've done and the fun that uh, these guys just send me a clip they don't give me anything else they don't say you know do this do that and then I send it back to them and the uh, clip that I did for the Rockets won an award for the best in-game sports video for all four major league sports nice uh, it aired a, a couple years ago I went down there I saw it on the Jumbotron to see you know, 18,000 people, you know, laughing and all looking up at the Jumbotron. Uh, and then it was written up in USA Today and, you know, it was all over social media that there's NBA Jam, you know, in connecting to the real NBA highlights. And so that integration of the virtual world to the real highlight world and allow me to make any lineup 
uh, for this specific game situation is something that I could have never done before because when you record, you're recording generic lines that have to fit for any given play. But when I do actual live highlights, I can tie it to the player. So, for instance, Harden, he's coming down and he's doing all his little dance moves. And I go, this is a limited time offer, TV offer. He slices, he dices, he dunks in your face, announcing the amazing Hardenizer. Call now and we'll throw in this free dagger at the buzzer. So there you go. You know, I can't do that in a video game. I can only do it when I'm doing <laughs> yeah, right. the uh, you know, actual play. So I can have an actual play for the thing going on in the court. And Rubio at one point gets so buckled by Harden's moves, he falls onto the floor, yeah. and the guys put in a digital uh, a twister mat under him, and I go, how about a little game of twister, Rubio? Right foot blue, left foot green. How about my red hot hand and your red face? Boom, shakalaka. You know, there you go. That's like the perfect world. You know, we've grown up on ESPN with those guys doing their, their highlights and their sense of humor, but they can't do what I do because I have a little bit more time. I don't have to do it, you know, 20 minutes after the game, and uh, and I can sit back and think of, you know, what I want to do and make it more of a comedic experience and still have that reference to NBA Jam and the, the sound and the one-liners that everybody knows. So hopefully this relationship with the NBA keeps to grow. My, you know, ultimate goal would be to, you know, for instance, do a uh, all-star game weekend, do the dunk contest or mm-hmm. all the celebrity games, something like that. Uh, I've got some marketing ideas. I'm going to Nike with a uh, proposal for a uh, 25th anniversary uh, shoe. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff. Uh, we're trying to dig- get a, a 25th anniversary convention in uh, the Vegas Summer League uh, next year, bring ex-NBA players on, uh, have uh, people bring their NBA Jam cabinets, private collectors, have an NBA Jam competition, have music, have Mark Jamel and different ex- players, you know, be interviewed and, you know, give talks and just have a party and celebrate. You know what? You just reminded me, there's a video of Kobe. Um, somebody made a video of Kobe Bryant making a whole bunch of shots. I, I guess he was literally on fire that day, and they, they did a NBA Jam mashup of every time he made the basket, the, the ball was on fire. It said, Kobe's on fire, Kobe for three, Kobe from downtown, from long range. If I can find it, I, I would definitely yeah, send it to you. I was but- just going to ask you, yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, over the years before I actually started doing the work with the Rockets and uh, Wizards and the other teams, people, fans were doing some YouTube videos, and you can find some of them. Uh, someone actually did a Blake Griffin one, uh, there's one when Clay Thompson hit the 37 and a quarter that actually put, I put that on my website so you can see, see it. And that was kind of cool, uh, to see that fans were having that much fun. And then when I went to the big three league this summer, I actually met Roger Mason and have been uh, talking about doing some promotional work with him next year. You know, it was the inaugural season. He had a lot going on, but he invited me to the game. And sure enough, as soon as a guy dunked, they had my speech call for the PA system go boom, shakalaka. Yeah, I thought that was uh, pretty cool that they were already on board with that. Now they've got that four-point shot, you know, kind of like uh, the, the, something that you would have in a video game. So hopefully uh, next year I'll be working with the big three a little bit, doing some in-game stuff and doing some promotional videos for them. So it never gets old. It's it's, it's a lot of fun. Definitely, man. You know what? I just found it. I just uh I just sent it to you just now. So when you hang up and you uh, get a chance to check it out, you you'll see. I, I think it was the guy more said WTF and some other stuff. I, I'm not too sure it, if it was you or someone like you, but I think it, yeah. I think it is you. I think it is you. 
Well, the, the, the cool thing for me also is like now I'm doing stuff for the uh, teams, but what I want to do next is somehow get with the players and their agents and have some fun. And when I was at the big three, I was giving my card out to people like Clyde Drexler. Mm. I met Alan Iverson and Gary and said, hey, if, uh, Kendall Gill, I said, if you ever want me to do a, a highlight NBA Jam style for your highlight reel, just for your own archives, love to do it. So that would be a lot of fun for people, especially like Kobe, who were the age growing up playing it, for them to have their own personal highlights called NBA Jam style. So that would be a lot of fun. I hope to make those connections. Uh, with the Clippers, I'm uh, going to do some fun stuff uh, with Blake and DeAndre. Got a thing called the Airbnb show uh, featuring the Boom Shock Locker Brothers, the Red and Blue Angels, DeAndre and Blake. So or, uh, look forward to that in January. I'll, we'll get in touch and I'll put it on Twitter when that comes out. I did want to ask you, has any any NBA player from back then or now, have, have you met, came to you and just kind of, you know, gave their two cents about the game, the uh, NBA Jam, uh, how you called the, the, the phrases? Has anybody come to you and said anything about that? Well, no one uh, has sought me out, uh, you know, uh, emails, social media, whatever, but I've met some folks and at the NBA Summer League, uh, ran into, I talked to Vince Carter for a bit uh, cool. and uh, Vladi Divac and Isaiah Thomas, and Isaiah would just crack up. He goes, oh, man, I used to love it when you say, he's on fire, he's on fire. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Vince was telling me how much he loved it, you know, the dunking stuff. And uh, so it was really cool to see those guys. And uh, as I said, you realize once I talk to someone, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, oh, wow, you're the guy. They would have never thought, like, you know, they're going to spend their day thinking about who's that guy who did NBA Jam. I'll get in touch with him. He'll do my right. highlights. But, you know, when I meet people, you find out what they're just like any other fan. They're just like, I met Steve Smith one time, and actually someone had mentioned to him, uh, one of my friends came over to Steve. He was in a restaurant. He said, hey, that guy over there did the NBA Jam, you know. And, and so Steve comes over to me, and he goes, hey, man, I just want to introduce myself. <laughs> and I, go, I know who you are. He goes, I just got to tell you, I'm, you know, my son and I were just playing the other day at the house. It was, you were playing the, what, old Sega or something? He goes, no, I'm the, I'm the arcade. I said, how do you have an arcade? Wow. Said, Dude, I was in the game. He goes, they gave me an arcade. That's how we got paid. He goes, we played all the time. I can't believe I'm meeting you. I got to call my son, tell him. It's like, here's the reverse bizarre world, like Seinfeld, like mm. me, who's like, you know, talking to this guy, Hall of Famer. You know, telling me like he can't believe he met me and how much fun he had wow. and still has with his family. And that's once again, that's that kind of thing, the legacy of like uh, how much fun that game was that NBA players, you know, that's their fantasy to be in the game and to have plays themselves and hear their name called out. So, yeah. Well, Tim, before I let you go, I need either a cruise control intro or outro. Well, well, we'll have to do that uh, now, but I want you to, uh, we'll hook up later, and I'll do some recordings from home. I'll give you some good stuff, anything you want. So let me know. All right, definitely. Uh, Tim Kitzrow, you're on Twitter at Tim underscore Kitzrow, uh, the voice of NBA Jam and the new Mutant Football League. He's on uh, the website, timkitzrow.com, right? Yep. You're listening to Randy Cruz from New York City. Boom shakalaka. Cruz out. Love it. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Real pleasure to talk to you, Randy. We'll we'll be in touch. And uh, thank you to all your listeners out there who uh, are NBA Jam fans. And uh, hopefully we got a lot more fun stuff uh, coming your way. And uh, check out Mutant Football League at at Mutant uh, uh, at Mutant Football. Uh, That's the Twitter handle, at Mutant Football. Randy, great to talk to you. Have a great day, man. All right, man. Take it easy.
All right. All right.